welcome back to another week with me, Nick, and my mate, Ronnie. How's it, everybody? We're still recovering from a heavy weekend down in Cape Town. What a place, hey, Ronald? Yeah, I didn't enjoy Cape Town up until uh, this past weekend. Now I thoroughly enjoy Cape Town. <laughs> was it your honey-braised banana at Truth that sold you on the place, or what was it, Ronald? No, no, no. It was just uh, meeting one or two famous people. I yeah, I was actually lucky to bump into Jamie Roberts watching the Island All Blacks game on his phone. Yeah, he was like, how's it, Ronnie? How's it, Nick? And I was like, yeah, lucky, Jamie. Not too bad. Yeah, unfortunately, he didn't have a poiky recipe for you, did he? No, he didn't. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, we had a bit of a whirlwind. Hey, we flew, we got to our accommodation just before midnight on Friday. We had every... Yeah, you couldn't, you, we were standing literally right next to the wall of the property that we were staying at and you still couldn't find the bloody place. So you definitely did not take geography at school. Unable to read a map. Got us lost a number of times over the weekend and yeah. I don't know if I got us lost a number of times. But I mean, we had every good intention of huffing and puffing our way up Lion's Head on Saturday morning. That kind of went out the window and we hit ferryman's for beer just after 9 a.m. The breakfast, we went and hit, had second breakfast at Ferry Wins. Yeah, absolutely yeah, the right. Break, the breakfast of champions. No, yeah, that was very exciting because we sat next to a math table of Welsh fans uh, who, you know, we got chatting to some of them. Very friendly bunch. Actually crazy how many Welshmen there were in that bar. At one point, we were heavily outnumbered. Yeah, but I think, you know, there were only like 100 that went to the game and all 100 were in that bar. So. <laughs> Getting their pre-drinks on. But like you said, we got to chat to a couple of them. They came down for the second test as like a touring group. And they were off to Zimbabwe this week, I think. So they're getting a bit of travel in, which is lacquer. But yeah, for, like you say, Ronnie, Cape Town had me sold. Hey, Everything at that stadium was efficient. It was unreal. Didn't wait more than seven minutes for a beer. Yeah. It was the perfect system, not like Loftus where everyone's rushing the bar and jumping queues and whatnot. There, twisting lines like at the airport, get to the front, there's one person pouring, one person serving, two beers per person. And it worked. Yeah, the, the twisting lines are absolutely the barriers. The twisting lines really turned a 10-meter trip into a 200-meter trip. But that was perfect for crowd control. So yeah, I thought uh, absolutely well done to the Cape Tonians. They really know how to organize the Springbok game. Yeah, and we actually had really good seats inside as well. Yeah, we always do get good seats, though. Oh, I guess you're right there. But sitting next to DeMar Larsons and his lovely lady, who had some kind words about Punted, and I think with them, just a shout-out to Rogan Bruce and Mike Potter, who've also had some lack of things to say about the pod this week. Last week's episode, Ronnie, first for us, that's hit 10,000 downloads in under a week. So that was a single, a single, a single episode under seven days, 10,000 people. I didn't even know. Yeah. 10,000 people is amazing. A little bit speechless, right? Yeah. That, that really surprised me as well. So thanks so much to everyone that's tuning in and listening to us. So I guess we have no choice, but to go watch more rugby. I mean, we have to, people are asking for it. We really don't have another choice. They've had to twist our arm and we're going to have to answer. Hey, Ronnie. Yeah. We're famous in parts of Benoni. (laughs) But yeah, for the reason everyone's here then, Ronald, should we dive into the game? Box 30, Wales 14, and a series win for the Springboks. Shall we, shall we, shall we just say that uh, I'm very relieved that we managed to pull up a series win. I was getting a little bit nervous at some at, uh, parts, of the, parts of the series. You know, it, it, it set it up for beautifully for Cape Town, one all going in, and then, you know, I just, the box had it. 
um, and it was amazing. We won convincingly. There's no dubious calls. I, it may have been some dubious calls, but uh, I don't think anything that was so dubious in nature that uh, that people are saying the game was completely lost as a result of that call. So yeah, I, I what a what a great game. How awesome was it? Again, speechless, really. Yeah, I think it was really impressive. It was really lucky to be there for Eben's hundredth and Bongi's fiftieth. Uh, they really put on a show for Eben. Thoroughly deserved win on such an occasion. I mean, he's the youngest buck to reach that milestone. But I thought also the Springboks sort of came into their own a little bit. Definitely not the comprehensive victory I was looking for. Yeah, I mean, it shows up a little bit of the risks of the bomb squad, don't you think, hey, Ronnie? Yeah, I've, I've said it before. I think uh, probably a 5-3 split would have done us a little bit better. I think a 6-2 split should be used in really special circumstances, uh, you know, for specific matches. I don't think it should be our norm. I think our 5-3 split is better just to have that. Although, you know, you, you could argue that Quacha could have easily slotted in the, at, in, in the back line somewhere. I mean, he's a seventh player. He could probably run ball a little bit better than most forwards. And so it's not the worst idea if you have someone like Quacha, but I think a 6-2 split, yeah, we're just going to get caught with our pants down. Yeah, I mean, because obviously Cheslin suffering the injury. I actually haven't seen word on that. They thought it was a, a fractured jaw. And that had ended up with a bit of a rejig in the back line. You know, Lucanio, I'm shifting to the wing. Damien Willemsen moving to 12 with Gialende to 13. And Vili coming on. And I thought I'm struggled a little bit out wide with his timing and all of that. I was a little bit surprised for Um to go wide. I would have thought Um would have stayed in the centres. And, you know, we would have picked one of our other players to go out wide. Perhaps someone like Damien Willemsen could have started out wide. But, or Vili as well. But I think, you know, one of my mates said it earlier, Ian actually said it uh, yesterday to me that yeah, Springboks have, have scenarios for everything. So they would have practiced if Chesin went off and they would have known exactly who goes where and what happens. So that's obviously, there was a planned move. They did it. They stick by their guns. So it's like you say, I do agree with you, Ronnie. It's, you know, the, the, the bomb squad and the, the 60 split needs to be on an as needed basis. I don't think it should be the regular deployment, but in this game, it also served well. I mean, Quacker Smith coming on in the 38th minute to replace Visa, you wouldn't be doing something like that if you didn't have an additional Lucy on in the form of Ulrich Lowe on the bench for later, you know. So I guess checks and balances across the board there. Sure, and central to our game plan is just to absolutely be as physical and as ruthless. So if you if you can't do that with the eight forwards on the field, you need to bring some more people off the bench to to pack a bigger punch. So you can't you can't do that necessarily with a far free split unless you've got some real utility uh, forwards that can sit on the bench. You know, Willem Albert's back in the day, someone like that. But I just think, uh, you know, overall, a 60 split is just very risky to make it your norm. One day we're going to get caught out. One day. Yeah, because, I mean, you suffer an injury to to Pollard and Damien Willemse. What, you're stuffed then. You really, really yeah. are in a, in a spot of trouble. I mean, you put Faf at 10 maybe, and then then what? You know. Quacko goes to the wing. <laughs> yeah, you might be left to the situation. But I actually, I have a question for you here, Ronnie, now, because... It's, it's something that sort of played out in this series. Quacker coming on 38th minute for Visa. Look, we've seen the box substitute before halftime before, but Quacker came on and really made a statement. Some good steals in that game, and he helped shift the momentum in the box favor. Do you think Visa might have fallen down the pecking line a little bit there? No, no, no. Russ, he said it, and I think he said it after his second, after the box second test match, he had a chat with the boys, and 
actually saw this video a couple of days ago. He said, you, you know, had 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 uh, and Kunu got a, a penalty right at the death there in that second test match, we would have won the game and, and the ratings would have looked completely different for individual players. So, you know, even if you get have one bad game, it's it's not to say you're a bad player. Things just didn't exactly pan out exactly the way you wanted it to. And the fact of the matter is it doesn't change much if you have one bad game. So I think it's less a case of of Visa having a bad game and more a case of, you know, Kwok has actually shown himself to be quite a reliable clutch player for us. Um, in the in, in clutch moments, he steps up to the plate. He's like our Francois Lowe. He's going he's gonna to go down there and he's going to come back up standing with the ball in his hands. So good on Kwokha. Okay, so you say that for the loose chairs, but let me put another playing combo to you and see if you feel the same. So now we've seen Jaden Hendricks are elevated to the starting berth over not only jumping Fuff, also Herschel Yankees. Has Herschel now fallen out of favor? And I mean, it's, it, it's obvious when one player rises within the squad, another has to drop. It's just the way it no, works. You can't I disagree. Have, Okay, why? He, he, may, he may drop in the rankings within the squad, but that doesn't make him a lesser player. No, no, no. I'm merely talking about their position within the squad. Are we going to see more of Hendricks and Faf in the match 23 now than we are with Herschel? I just think, uh, you know, all these memes came out about South Africa's depth being, you know, the deepest thing on this planet. And it's South Africa's springbok depth. It's a fantastic scenario to have. Which of these five great players can you choose from? So I think it just means that, you know, Faf and Herschel potentially won't be playing every single game. They'll have periods of rest and they'll have periods to, to they'll have a longer off-season, player longevity, player wellness, you know, all of these things come into play now Sunday because, you know what, we don't have to play 10 test matches a year. You can play five. You can rest that knee of yours. So uh, I think it's good, absolutely good. And also... One player plays better, the other players uh, have more competition and start performing better. Okay, I see what you mean. And now, obviously, there's talk about Kurbis Reinach and Dwayne Vermeulen rejoining the squad. That's going to ruffle some feathers. There will be some personnel changes. Currently, there are four scrum halves. So where do you go from here? Does Reinach fall in and knock one of them out? We have so many scrum offs. It's It really is, for me, it's still baffling. Uh, I, I thought we took way too many scrum offs. I think it's a position that <laughs> we probably could have uh, sacrificed one or two of them and uh, and introduced a couple more backline centers or something along those that need some more game time, you know? Yeah, I think you and me agree yeah. there's a shortage in the centers and fly half, so they should have blooded yeah. more players there. Where's Bonnie Libok, for example? It's going to be interesting to see now when the squad is named for the rugby championship, if there are players that drop out, other ones included. And I've even actually seen talk of uh, Rassi and Jacques splitting the team entirely and sending a side over to Australia. Um, a week exactly what they did uh, uh, previously exactly. before the last and, World Cup, you know. And likely to be a team possibly captained by Irban and the same side that we saw play in Bloemfontein. So that could be an interesting development. Because that's what happened. Really. We, we sent some players over. Maybe it wasn't a full squad, but we sent a, a core team over to, to New Zealand. <laughs> we lost against Argentina and then Australia, but uh, when the boys are ready for New Zealand because half the team had been acclimatizing, getting ready, training. They weren't jet lagged. Everyone was ready to go. So, you know, it's chess, not checkers. It's going to be interesting to see if they do, do go that way. And then, Ronnie, an interesting debate I actually had with the guy sitting, the Welshman sitting with us at the bar and thought we could chat about it now is 
does altitude actually matter for the box anymore considering so many of them play in Europe and for the Sharks and for the Stormers, very few Bulls and Lions players. Is it even an advantage anymore? Yeah, it's absolutely an advantage, I think. I think the players that obviously go and ply their trade overseas and don't necessarily play at altitude, they're going to come and also struggle, of course, but a large portion of our teams regularly play at altitude. I mean, all the Bulls players train week in, week out at altitude. Ellis Park, uh, same story for the yeah, Lions. Yeah, those guys are not in the Springbok team. So there's no Bulls, Lions or... No, but minimally so. You've got who in the starting lineup from the Bulls? Yeah, you know, so what I'm saying is uh, those players that play there quite often, you know, they'll be used to it. So when they find themselves in those positions in the Springbok team or a test match playing at altitude, you know, it gives them that extra kick. It gives them that extra boost. It's one of those extra playing cards that the guys can, uh, that the coaching staff can can work around. Yeah, I, I think altitude has zero role to play anymore. If you looked at the box, their best performance came at a low altitude. They played the best in Cape Town. We didn't have any advantage from it over Wales in either of Bloemfontein and Pretoria. And I think unless it's like 2007, 8, 9, where the majority of the side is made up from, you know, Gauteng-based sides, it's not going to play that much of a role because coming up here once a month or once every two months for like a Sharks-Bulls game is not going to make the Sharks good at playing at altitude because their fitness levels are still going to be tailored to the environment they train in. Yeah, going into a boxing ring, getting punched in the face is not going to make you great at uh, getting punched in the face. But you are going to know what to expect and you are going to know how to react in a, in a specific moment. You are going to know to possibly retain some of your energy in the first half. Don't just, don't, don't kill yourself in the first half. Save some for later because you're going to need it. You've been here before. I, it will be interesting to see how we fare against the All Blacks at altitude as well and, and what effect that plays. But I'm starting to wonder if it really has the advantage we like to think that it does. Oh, you were a forward, though. You guys did absolutely nothing in the front row there. So you were yeah. huffing and puffing whether we were at altitude or at sea level. Said like a typical jealous loose forward, eh? <laughs> and then, Ronnie, surprise in the other internationals, some hectic results this weekend. I don't know for a fact I called a Fiji win, but it was interesting to see Samoa win 23-20 over the Fijians. I think I called Fiji as well. Didn't 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 pick uh, Samoa for the win, but you know, when in doubt, that some of these teams always go for the home team, and, and that's what Samoa showed you. So a little bit of home field advantage. Yeah, that was a very surprising victory, and Samoa ultimately winning the Pacific Nations Cup with Fiji ending in third. So that was that sure. was definitely something that caught me a little bit off guard, but not as much as Island 32-22 All Blacks. That's my favorite, especially because you called an Irish win in the first week and then they lost and you came back and you sucked like, no, no, it's going to be a whitewash for the All Blacks. And then Ireland won. And then you're like, no, no, okay, come on, the All Blacks go. And then Ireland won again. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. hard luck and, to you. Eh? And on Saturday morning at breakfast, I told you my gut's telling me Ireland's going to win this game. I should change no, my pick. I should change my pick. And I didn't. No, you didn't say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. denial. Hey, Ronnie, it's not just a river in Egypt. Um, look, Ireland, well, well, flip and done. The first series loss for the All Blacks in 27 years or something like that. Yeah, since 1984. Uh, the All Blacks, the All Blacks are, 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 are hurting. I don't know. I mean, it's a little bit, it's a little bit ridiculous. Uh, you, you mean, you can't be this dominant. The fairy tales aren't going to last forever. There's actually a quote by my boss from this morning. The fairy tale is not going to last forever. 
you, you had to lose at some point and you know Ireland just definitely they stepped up to it a couple of decisions if you go and you go and look at through the games couple of red cards that may or may not or should or should not have been dished out may have changed things and it could have swung the other way but you, you know what Ireland you deserve that well well bloody done and you know what top of the rankings as well so well bloody done to you for getting that you deserve it yeah very very well done to Ireland I was very impressed with that victory thoroughly deserved and yeah what more can you say eh? all blacks in a spot of trouble and then Unfortunately, Eddie Jones' side, England, getting a 21-17 win over Australia and winning the series there. I think this put us a little bit on edge, hey, Ronnie? We saw two of the Southern Hemisphere giants get slayed, and we were hoping it wasn't going to be a third when we faced Wales later in the day. Yeah, I think for me, the two interesting things that came out of that uh, England-Australia game was the guy that uh, they tried to take a piss off the roof of the... <laughs> Of the Sydney cricket ground. He's been banned for life. What a moron. <laughs> and and the and the fan that called Eddie Jones a traitor. And Eddie <laughs> and Jones Eddie did not pay. <laughs> he did not stand back. I think that was that was excellent to see. He just was like, what come say that to my face? I thought that was outstanding. So <laughs> legend, legend Eddie. It doesn't matter who gives yeah. you shit to you, legend Eddie. That. <laughs> that oak, that fan pulled up that handbrake very quickly and so it was like, whoa, okay, no, no. Yes, that was funny. And then uh, over to Argentina. Argentina pulling off a come-from-behind victory there. We saw that ending to the game, 34-31 against Scotland. Also winning. Yeah, in, the, in the depth, I was I actually back Scotland there thinking they were going to take it and uh, look pretty good right up until the death when Argentina just home-field advantage. Yeah, they just managed to pull it off and uh, proud of them. Honestly, so so you know if we look at if we look at the Argentina, Scotland, England, Australia, Ireland, All Blacks, and South Africa and Wales, you know this the, the spoils are shared. Six Nations versus Rugby Championship split two two, and then Ronnie, it was a lacquer weekend on Super Brew. I know Rugby Ball Light. They brought this episode to you guys again. They sponsored some epic epic prizes. So what do you have for us in the Super Brew update there, Ronald? Yeah, I, I had a look at Superbrew and I had a look at what I said last week and I was like, oh, well, this this week's actually pretty short because it's, it was only the July internationals and that, that's also done now. I don't really know what to look forward to anymore. It's very sad. I might just have to watch Formula One next week. But uh, we'll start off. We'll start off in third place. Uh, please don't interact me again like last week. Nick telling me that I got Sorry, the log wrong. I'm starting with third. So we've got in third place, Juan van Niekerk, uh, a.k.a. Juan, on 22.25 points. Uh, second place, we've got Clinton Oakamp, Clinton 20. Uh, he got to, He's on 22.75, which is uh, also what our play, our team in uh, the person in first place got, also 22.75, but uh, differentiated only by the total differential margin of 263 for first place. So Peter Cameron being our top spot winner, um, on 22.75 and how he achieved this you know what <laughs> it was another tops turvy uh, weekend on super brew but he managed to get uh, uh the oz england game spot on so he got a he got a share of the bonus points there five win points overall five wins out of uh, out of six and then he got margin points on half those games so peter cameron being uh, the superest brew 
in July internationals for the rugby punted. And then, uh, yeah, so well done to old Peter. And I think Nick's, Nick's got something for you. And because we host a show and because every week uh, we get to say who ended where between you and me, and you've been giving me a lot of crap over the last couple of weeks, you know, I just want to say uh, Nick, aka the rugby punted, you got 239th overall in the in the in the league uh, I'm whereas guessing I, you're ahead of me because Ronnie, you're smirking now <laughs> Ronnie aka bloody Ronnie I'm sitting at 205th so uh, I am beating you convincingly and you know what don't count your chickens my friend in, in, in when until the competition's over yeah so and Belinda Belinda got the only one in the top 10 from the punter team hey so well done to Belinda there outstanding Belinda so yeah guys if Ronnie, just read out your name. Please get in touch with us. We've got a rugby ball light coming your way. We just need your details so we can send that on to you via the courier. And also, the fourth ball is going to our top fan, the guy that's been supporting us, sharing, commenting, and liking on everything. Rian Nordia, this is your one, man. So please also get in touch with us so we can send you one of those balls. And if you guys want to check them out, you can find Rugby Ball Light SA at rblsa.co.za where you can grab your own if you didn't win with us the past three weeks. Then, Ronnie, since we're talking all about rankings, should we take a quick squiz at the world rankings where Ireland are in first place? Ireland are in first place. Yeah, bloody well done to Ireland. Yeah, Ireland in first place, France in second. Those two were just swapping around on the log a little bit there with France not playing this weekend. South Africa in third, New Zealand in fourth, England fifth, Australia 6th, Scotland 7th, Wales 8th, Argentina ninth, and Japan in 10th place. So those are your world rankings. There can be a little bit of movement when we play the rugby championship now, but quite doubtful that anyone can or remove Ireland from top spot until November. Yeah, absolutely. Just interestingly enough from my side is uh, Italy, <laughs> not in the top 10. So, um, you know, Georgia's in 13th, Italy's actually in 14th. When do we start talking about who deserves to play in the Six Nations? And then, you know, obviously Japan also in the top 10 there. When do we start talking about which major competition they're allowed into? Yeah, that's also true. Hey, some competitive competition coming up there. Like you say, Georgia ahead of Italy and having beaten Italy for that spot. Definitely a conversation needs to be had there in the Northern Hemisphere about their inclusion in the Six Nations or the expansion of it. But I think Ireland deservedly number one in the world right now. And I think a lot's going to come out in November when there's tests between Ireland, the Springboks, France, the All Blacks. It's going to be very interesting build up to the World Cup, hey, Ronnie? Look, I actually struggle to, to know who's who's a deserved top spot here. Um, I think Ireland's recent performance beating the New Zealand, yeah, okay, they deserve top spot right now. But, you know, another time of the year, France could, you know, absolutely decimate everyone in the end of year tours and then they take top spot and, and deserve and deserve it then. Or, you know, South Africa dominates in the rugby championship and takes top spot. Or, you know what, New Zealand comes back again and, and, and displays some absolute dominance once again, and takes top spot. So really, the top four for me, it's, it's amazing. It really is. You know, right time and place, any of those four teams could be top of the world. And it's, it's nice to see. It is nice to see there's a lot of competition. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of competition. And it really feels tight in the lead up to the World Cup. That's one thing you cannot doubt. So very exciting times in rugby. And I think this level of competitiveness actually breeds interest in the game as well, which is really lacquer. And now, Ronnie, it looks like you've got a bit of a frown on that face. Are we ranting today? No, we're actually just picking up from exactly what we just spoke about now with respect to the rankings. But uh, I had a look at um, I had a look at the various the four pools uh, for for next year's Rugby World Cup 2023. 
And, uh, you know, there's obviously still two places up for grabs. So I thought I'd just mention those two spaces first. We've got the Asia Pacific one, which I'll, you know, which I personally believe will be Tonga. And then we've got a final qualifier position, which I believe will go to the USA. So there's still uh, five teams that could qualify for the World Cup, being USA, Kenya, Tonga, Hong Kong, and Portugal. Tonga and Hong Kong are going to play for that Asia Pacific one position in Pool B. And then uh, USA, Kenya... Portugal and and I assume Hong Kong will then play off then for the final qualified position in Pool C. You know, with that said, so I, I I went in and I punched in Tonga in Pool B and USA in Pool C. I then did a little bit of uh, maths with respect to seeing which is actually the pool of death. All right, so I, I listed everyone's rankings and I started calculating. <laughs> the average the average ranking in Pool A is twelve point four. The average ranking in Pool B is 8.8, and 11.4 for Pool C and D, respectively. So with that said, Pool B is hands down the pool of death, with Pool A actually being the weakest pool. Yeah, and if you then obviously go and rank them and say, oh, let's look at the average of the top three teams or the top two teams, uh, Pool B, so South Africa, Ireland, Scotland, what we assume to be Tonga, and then Romania, are in the most difficult pool there is it is hands down the pool of death they 8.8 ranking overall ranking for all teams in uh, in in pool b i mean it's just actually ridiculous so what a tough pool i really do think with that said though world rugby really needs to consider uh, doing the the pool calculating the pools a lot closer to the world cup this this is not on you can't have an average pool ranking of uh 2.5 in pool A and B, and an average ranking of uh, seven between the top two teams in each pool, between A and B and C and D. That's just, that just makes a very lopsided World Cup tournament. That's just my two cents I thought I'd add. That is actually bloody brilliant, Ronnie. I've always, you know, we've, we've debated plenty of times, actually, which is the pool of death, but calculating like that is actually bloody genius. Well done, Ronald. We definitely no, no. If I can go into a lot more detail, I can tell you if we ranked uh, all five teams on average, if we ranked only the top four teams, the top three teams, the top two teams, and obviously the top team, I can tell you that uh, Pool B wins in every single one of those. So it's definitely on every front, the pool of death, without a doubt. I'm going to have to get those stats from you and do a little article on that because I think people will be quite interested with those stats. But talking about stats, time for Saturday. As everyone knows, we're doing this a little different during the international season. So this week, I'm bringing you a couple of stats on another debutant from the, the July series. And this week, I'll be covering Ivan Ruiz. So Ivan Ruiz, he made his first appearance at the SA Schools in 2018, scoring against France. He played all three of their games. He then signed for the Sharks, joining their Curry Cup team and making his debut in 2019. At 1,91 meters tall and 109 kilos, he's quite a unit. And he's also quite pacey for that size. And in the Bloemfontein game, he became Springbok number 924. Coming from Paul Boys High officially, but what I think a lot of people don't know is he actually started his high school career at Uffies. So had he hung around here in Pretoria, might have turned out for the Blue Bulls, Ronald. That would have been something to hold. Yeah, so lacquer for Ivan. His granddad follows our page and we hope he's listening to this. We're keen to see more of Ivan as the rugby championship takes place. Definitely a rising talent in the Springbok ranks. Thanks for joining us again. And if this is your first time joining us, we hope to have you back next week. Don't forget to like, subscribe, share and get in touch with us. Smash that like button.